Berkeley Yeast, creators of the bioengineered yeast, Tropics, and the newly launched Sunburst Chico, are now offering free overnight shipping on domestic orders of $1,000 or more. All California orders ship free. Berkeley Yeast, ordinary yeast made extraordinary. This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. This episode was made possible by the following sponsors. Discover more ways to enhance flavor and maximize beer yields with Salvo. Now available in varieties like Sultana, Trident, Lotus, Calypso, Cascade, and many more. Discover how Salvo can help boost your brew at hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Every beer has a story, and that's why, for over 95 years, Gusmer Enterprises has offered a full line of solutions, including equipment, analytical instrumentation, and processing aids, all brought to you from leading suppliers and backed by strong technical support. For the solution to your story, go to gusmerbeer.com. Everybody knows that yeast plays one of the most important roles in brewing, no matter the style and recipe you choose. Yeast simultaneously influences flavor, aroma, acidity, brightness, and mouthfeel and brewing a lager is no exception. Discover our entire SAF lager range at fermentus.com, where you'll find yeast for traditional to modern style lagers. What you're about to hear originally aired in June of 2022. Even if you've already heard it, I hope you'll listen again because it's just the kind of important safety reminder that we all need to hear. It's terrifying when you actually learn the risk that's associated with this and, and how easily it can happen. Yeah, don't try to be a hero. The goal for us would be to just help prevent anything like this from happening at, at any other brewery. You know, we got really lucky in that um, our brewer reacted appropriately and we didn't have a, a severe injury. And, you know, it didn't happen to be standing right next to the mainway when it blew. Yeah, absolutely. So anything we can do to help. This week on the show, an incident at Goose Island that we can all learn from. Hey, my name is Daryl Herdka. I'm the senior brewmaster for Goose Island Beer Company in Chicago. My name is Gabe Kappen. I am the senior environmental health and safety manager for Goose Island Brewing. What exactly causes brew kettle boilovers? Yeah, I think that uh, really is is a couple different factors there, but um, you know the the boil over just defined quite literally is just to to boil so vigorously that liquids leaving the confines of your vessel, and there's all different kinds of vessels that I think we'll get into later, but um, you know that could be excessively high temperature um, and heat exchange through whatever your boiling medium is, whether that's direct fire, steam. Um, calandria, internal, external um, fluctuations in pressure certainly can can cause that. Um, surface tension changes due to either proteins or, or other long long chain carbohydrates, and then uh, sudden changes in nucleation sites. Which you know, when you're adding hops, 
uh, adding uh, sugar, other adjuncts to, to your kettle. If you're aggressively boiling, you know, that can really exacerbate and, and cause that, that flare up and boil over. How much contact time does it take to get a third degree burn from boiling wort? Yeah, so I mean the you know the temperature can depending on what we're brewing uh can be you know 212 degrees Fahrenheit or even a little bit higher. So the the contact time is extremely limited for you to receive a third degree burn. It's actually would be less than 1 second. Do you want to talk about the difference between stable versus unstable boil conditions? Sure. Um yeah, I think this is in really something that we we don't think about too frequently but um you know just the actual dynamics of boiling so under a, a normal boiling state you you'd have a heating surface you know again whatever that that heating method is but you'd really only be boiling along that heating surface the the rest of the wort in your vessel you know as you move further away from that isn't actually at a boiling state. It's it's at a, a state just before boiling, and that, and that's really what you want. Um, that's that's pretty controlled. You're you're not really going to be at risk of of a, a drastic boil over with that. Um, so unstable boiling would be considered uh, sort of a superheated uh, condition. So so that's where either you have increased pressure, uh, increased temperature. Um, you know the, those nucleation sites that could cause that that excessive boiling, but you know in in this case, I think we were really referring to a, a superheated condition, which would would be a worst case scenario that um, in that condition, literally all of the liquid in the vessel has the ability to instantaneously boil. So that's where you've got excessively high temperatures, potentially excessively high pressures, superheating that that liquid. And if you have a rapid pressure drop or rapid nucleation uh, ingress, then all of a sudden that can instantaneously boil, causing that violent boil over condition. And that that's really the, the unstable that, that we want to avoid. So we're talking about like a geyser, not just like a slowly rolling out of the top of the kettle kind of situation. Yeah. I mean, geyser, even explosion. Worse. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Okay. What's the best way to respond to a boil over? Well, the first thing is to try to be prepared. Um, you know, these are very serious incidents and in the heat of the moment, you want to be able to rely on your training and know what to do at that time. So uh, some considerations to think about, uh, you know, some people might want to open the manway door to the kettle to relieve pressure, but you absolutely do not want to do that because that's going to be your greatest uh, point of injury. Uh, by releasing pressure while you're over that open manway door. You also want to make sure you're very communicative. You know, yell if you have to, evacuate the immediate area, make sure nobody else is in the line of fire. Always call for help, you know, cascade upwards, get uh, everyone involved, uh, let management know even if they're off-site. Uh, and then ultimately, you need to cut steam supply to the brew kettle because that's the, the root cause of the problem. Uh, some other considerations uh, you want to kind of think about uh, before you have an incident, you know, do you have a localized uh, emergency stop for steam supply to the kettle? Um, if not, do you know where your main cutoff point is? And, you know, ultimately, are these easily accessible? Uh, we'll get into this further uh, for a situation at Goose. Our main steam supply was not uh, easily accessible and uh, not something you want to try to scramble and figure out uh, while you're having a boil over. 
Yeah, and I think the main thing to consider there is is really just get away from it. You know, there's there's no reason to even go near a vessel that's starting to get out of control. Just get away. Make sure yeah, you don't can try to be a hero. Get it, yeah, get get it stabilized from afar. You know, it's not worth getting severely injured or even you know put in the hospital and risking death. Yeah, when you have a catastrophic catastrophic failure at that point, you know it's your personal safety is is paramount. You know, you don't even want to be worried about trying to save the product. I'm not sure when it occurred, but I know there was a pretty bad boil over at Goose Island. Tell us what happened. Sure. So, um, sort of late later in the day, uh, about seven thirty, eight o'clock at night, um, we had our, our lead brewer on duty. Um, was uh, was running the shift and he noticed that uh, a boil over detection probe had been tripped. Um, so he wasn't actually in the upper brew house to, to visually be able to confirm anything. Uh, we have a, a mash filter at our facility that's in uh, a separate room. So he was in that that room uh, doing some work in there and, and he noticed on the HMI screen there that, that there was that boil over, which with our controls that we had at the time should have been a, a controlled stable situation. Um, um, when we had that boil over, uh, he expected that uh, steam would have been cut to the kettle, uh, which would have given him the additional five to 10 minutes that he needed to wrap up uh, his project in, in that room. So he, he stayed in that room, continued, um, continued. Yeah, had to, you seen, is it, had you seen that boiler sensor go off before, or was that a pretty uncommon situation? Yeah, no, that, that's, um, that's a safety that uh, we do see go off occasionally. We do some you know, with hazy brews, like higher wheat load beers, high gravity beers, we do a lot of, we, we will see some boil overs and that, that sensor will be tripped and steam's cut and, and we get back under control. So that, that was a, a I guess, common occurrence, if, if you want to call it that. Um, so, so he expected that uh, the, the boil kettle would have been in a stable state. He, he wrapped up his, his work in the room. And when he headed back up to the, uh, the brew house, he got to the top of the stairs and saw wort shooting out of the manway as, as well as the, uh, the sight glass. Uh, the vessel was under such pressure. So um, at, at that point, he, he did exactly what we're talking about. Um, he didn't try to go near it. He, you know, back down the stairs, there was a sellerman who was actually heading up the stairs. He notified him, yelled, get away, um, headed down into the lower brew house to, to look at the HMI screen uh, down there and try to assess what was going on from afar. So I guess before we before we go any further, I just want to um, make it clear that there, there were no actual injuries here, right? Nobody yep. nobody, nobody got up in the hospital because yeah, of your no quick thinking. <laughs> yeah, good, good. Okay, um, so um, and I also want to make it clear that this wasn't just um, sort of like uh, a situation where there's okay a few gallons of wood on the floor and like you know you got to mop out and cleaned it up. Like this was a massive amount of work, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I don't even know how to quantify it, but, you know, in, in the pictures that, that we presented, you know, you can see our, our entire upper brew house was covered with wort. So you're, you're looking at probably at least a hundred gallons, probably more of wort that had gone down some of the drains, but it, for, for those who have ever seen our brew house, you know, we, we have uh, a five vessel system. Um, so that entire floor was covered with wort. Uh, in addition, there are two offices that um, are right off of that main floor. Both of those offices filled 
or uh, flooded and flooded. Yeah. It, it yeah. Is just yeah. I'm looking massive. at pictures of, I'm looking at pictures of, you know, desks and refrigerators and stuff that are standing in pools of, of work. Yeah. So, I mean, it's that, that cannot have been fun to clean up. No, I mean, it, it, it built up such pressure. It, it blew out the manway gasket on a, a fairly tightly locked door. And we have a, a large glass sight glass that is bolted on to the vessel with a flange. And that actually had blown out. And then in the pictures, you know, you can see wort just streaming down. Yeah, the sight glass was still intact, but you can still see those lines of wort just coming down the brew kettle. Mm. Okay. So I want to make it clear that you guys weren't clueless or just being cavalier. You had good reasons to assume that this kind of thing wasn't going to happen at Goose. Tell us more about what those reasons were. Yeah, absolutely. We, um, you know, we we had actually been working on a lot of improvements to our uh, boil kettle safety over the last several years. So, so we had quite a few controls that I think up until this point we considered best in practice. You know, uh, we, we had steam automation, you know, based on wort volumes. So um, we would, we would fluctuate our steam flow uh, based on wort volumes and temperatures, a boil over probe tied to steam automation, uh, internal kettle spray ball to knock down foam. If we were to have an issue, um, we always boil with a closed kettle door, closed and locked, uh, to prevent any geysering out of the, the manway. Um, we would cut steam before opening a kettle door for additions and samples. And uh, we even had uh, visual alerts that would come up in the event that we did have a boilover probe um, that would cut steam. So we would be notified of a kettle boil over there. So I think we felt very comfortable that we were in a, a controlled, safe, operating setup <laughs> obviously was the um was the controls to cut steam before opening the the door was that automated or was that just an sop that operators had to follow yeah at the time that was just an sop that operators had to follow so with all those controls in place how did you end up in this situation did one or more of those systems fail yeah, so actually all of our controls that we had in place functioned as we would have expected them to. So when that boilover probe was was tripped, um, the automation in the HMI uh, told our, our automated steam valves to close. Uh, on the, the screen, it, it did actually show that those, those valves were closed. However, uh, we actually had a, a steam supply valve uh, mechanically fail. And the, the interesting thing was with this is um, when those valves fail, they should fail closed. In this case, this valve did not fail closed. It failed in an open position, um, just hammering steam continually into, into the kettle, which is, is why we, we built such pressure and, and had the issue we did. And it probably took you a little time to figure out what, what the heck was going on if your screen's telling you the valve's closed, right? Yeah, exactly. That, that was part of the issue is, you know, in... You know the hecticness of it. You're you're looking at the screen, and everything on the screen visually looks as it should. So so it it did take a little bit, but um, eventually, you know, we we do also uh, as feedback on our screen have uh, pounds per hour of steam flow listed there. So mm -hmm. we have flow meters on each of our our steam supply lines, mm -hmm. and eventually uh, Bjorn the brewer did recognize that we had steam flow running through one of those steam valves, even though the, the valve showed closed. Got it. it was, uh, All right. 630 pounds per hour for those 12 minutes in between uh, the boilover probe to the final response. Mm. 
Okay. Um, let's talk about that response. What exactly did that look like? Sure. So I remember it vividly. Um, I was actually just about to walk into uh, Mariano's uh, when I got the call from Bjorn about eight o'clock uh, that evening. Uh, kind of got a, a sense of the seriousness of, of what was going on, that we're having a boil over. Uh, first thing, talked with him, confirmed that uh, there was no need for medical attention. Nobody, nobody was hurt, thankfully. Uh, and just getting more details about what was going on. We made the call right then and there that we should shut down brewing operations uh, pending an investigation uh, to a point where I feel we would be safely be able to resume brewing. You've got some recommendations for how to handle incident investigations in a brewery. Why don't you tell us about that? Sure thing. So for some sites that might be smaller, or might ha- have a true incident investigation process. Uh, just some general recommendations that would come in handy pretty much anywhere. Uh, you know, right after an incident, you want to make sure you follow up with those frontline uh, team members as soon as possible while those details are still fresh. Uh, you know, when you have such a serious event like a boil over, um, you know, you're, you're kind of in panic mode and sometimes you can forget uh, key details. Uh, you always want to involve other departments in your, investig- in your investigation. Definitely maintenance is a huge one for this because it uh, you know, ultimately one of the causes was the fact that a, a valve had failed uh, incorrectly. And then it's always a great practice to include the individuals that were part of the actual incident. You want to make sure that you're getting their input, uh, their firsthand accounts of what happened, and also helping them to feel inclusive and, and being part of that process where they can offer their feedback and support. And again, just always record as much detail as possible. Um, even if you end up not needing all those details at the end of the day, it's still good to have that because you never know uh, if you need to look back at something and follow up at a later date. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, to your point, getting all those details down as quickly as possible as well, because it's it's remarkable how fast details get fuzzy and uh, you start to lose <laughs> the actual uh, context of what happened. So, yeah, as, as soon as possible, while still, I think, respecting people's uh, emotional damage in, in an instance like this. Sure. Sometimes people need a, you know, it's a little bit of time to cool off after that. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, talk about the five whys. Sure. So uh, at Goose Island and at AB in general, we use a root cause analysis process called a uh, involving the five why methodology. It's uh, pretty simple and effective way to look at a problem and drill it down to the actual root cause. Um, we, uh, it, it, you know, you look at your problem statement and basically you drill it down to, you know, why did that happen? And you take it down, you know, three, four, five, ten 10 levels as much as needed to, to the point where you eventually get to that root cause. So, uh, the importance of this is that when you find the root cause, you can develop corrective actions to prevent further incidents or injuries. If you don't run an investigation until you get to that actual true cause, um, you might be putting a Band-Aid on a problem or addressing a minor issue, uh, which would eventually still result in a recurrence of the same incident or an injury. And that's, you know, as a safety manager, that's the worst thing you can have is a repeat injury. Uh, due to the same same circumstances, so this this process helps avoid that. Coming up, 
you know, prep your team and, and see how they would respond if it was a true emergency, just like you do fire drills, tornado drills, do boil over drills. I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. There's really only one thing that keeps this podcast going, and that's when listeners like you take the time to thank our sponsors. The next time you talk to a rep from one of these companies, be sure to thank them for their generous support. Today's podcast is sponsored by BSG. When planning your next brewing journey, consider traveling domestically with your malt choice. As distributors of quality domestic malts like Rar and Gambrinus, BSG gives you the freedom to explore a world of flavors, but at local prices. So you can cut costs, but not quality. Start exploring at bsgcraftbrewing.com. Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand new malt houses, try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com. Positively impact your process, product, and profitability with actionable insights from BrewIQ, the industry-leading real-time fermentation monitoring solution. Visit www.precisionfermentation.com backslash MBAA to start saving time and money today. Grist Analytics is the leading quality and production control software platform built by and for craft brewers. The unique cloud-based application gives the unprecedented ability to capture data your way and correlate it across the brewery. Get real-time feedback on the brew deck, analyze correlations from the lab, and track brewery performance while listening to this podcast. Grist Analytics helps you skip past hours of sorting through spreadsheets and paper logs to making informed decisions that drive efficiency and deliver better beer with confidence. GristAnalytics.com are you sure you're getting the best deal? Visit the Lupulin Exchange, where you can find every hop variety, every brand, and every vendor. Compare prices, reviews, shipping speeds, reliability, and more on over a million pounds shipping direct from every hop merchant and grower in the U.S. The Lupulin Exchange. One stop, all the hops. And here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. District Philadelphia's annual golf outing is June 23rd in Barnesville. District New York's shop talk is at Twin Elephant Brewing June 26th. District Northern Illinois' shop talk is June 29th at Noon Whistle in Naperville. District Michigan's summer social is July 8th at Fitzgerald Park in Grand Ledge. Master Brewers has teamed up with ASBC to put on a two-day raw materials symposium August 3rd and 4th in Bloomington, Minnesota. District Milwaukee meets at the Molson Coors Miller Inn September 21st. The world-famous Master Brewers Brewing and Malting Science course begins September 29th. The 2023 Master Brewers Conference will be October 6th through the 8th in Seattle, Washington. 
District Michigan's fall meeting will be at Founders Brewing in Grand Rapids, October 19th. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. Haven't joined Master Brewers? Now's the time. Just for listening to the Master Brewers podcast, become a member for $123 for the year. Head over to mbaa.com and use code BEER2023 when you join. back to the show. Okay, th- this might seem a little silly to some folks, but could you walk us through your root cause analysis of the boil over? Sure. So we use actually something called a 15Y. So we actually take uh, a 5Y methodology and break it down into three different areas. So uh, the first aspect we look at would be the equipment, kind of the more engineering side of things. So for the example here, uh, you know, we start with the problem statement. Why was hot wort escaping the brew kettle? Well, because the brew kettle was in that boil over state. Well, why was that? Is because a steam, uh, steam was still being supplied to the brew kettle, even though the boil over probe was triggered and the steam jacket supply uh, did not cut off at that 1400 gallon volume as it's normal uh, control to cut off steam. Uh, so why was steam still uh, still being supplied even though we had triggered that volume and pressure? It's because the steam jacket line was open and still supplying steam at that rate we had talked about of 630 pounds per hour. And why was that? Well, ultimately, it was because the steam valve KTM V01 catastrophically failed in that half-open position when originally that valve was designed to fail in a closed position. So that's just one example uh, looking at the equipment side of failures. Uh, we also take another approach and look at methods and uh, SOPs and ways we can improve there. And kind of you, you walk through the same uh, uh, same process. Uh, and the ultimate uh, root cause we got on the methods and SOP side, because the current root kettle boilover response does not have a step to verify that the steam flow totalizer is reading zero. Uh, this is due to the fact that boilover probe should automatically cut steam supply. So Daryl talked about this a little bit earlier, where we're relying on these automated controls, uh, even though we have the data in front of us to show that the steam was still being supplied to the kettle, even though it was supposedly shut down. But now we have added that step to, you know, we put faith in these controls, but we also want to verify and make sure that's reading zero pounds per hour steam supply, then you know for sure that it's cut off. And then finally, we look at the people aspect. Um, unfortunately, a lot of uh, uh, safety incidents can come down to human error. Uh, you know, in this case, it was it was not. Uh, Bjorn's uh, quick and swift action uh, really helped us avoid a, a, a serious injury or, or fatality. Um, in this case, looking at the people aspect, uh, kind of what I was alluding to in the methods and SOPs, we were relying on that uh, uh, the automation to cut off steam supply. And we didn't immediately realize that there was a catastrophic failure of that valve, again, because we were relying on that to be automatically cut off. Okay, so now that you know what happened, it's time for corrective actions, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so we take the learnings from the root cause analysis and kind of group them into two buckets. Uh, you have things you need to do in the immediate term, uh, and then your long-term actions. Uh, you know, 
we shut down for about 72 hours uh, from this incident, which is unheard of kind of in, in the industry. But we wanted to make sure that everything was uh, thoroughly investigated and you know, make sure that we could resume production safely and not putting our, our brewers at risk. So uh, the men- Andy probably had some cleaning to do. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just, just a little bit. Um, yeah, I mean, and not just cleaning on the on the floor over there, but also even in the, the vent stack. So we had some, uh, you know, it's a pressurized system. So had a little bit of wart uh, escape through our vent stack up to the roof as well. So that was, Yeah, uh, so there were quite a few maintenance checks that uh, needed to be performed just to make sure we hadn't actually damaged any further equipment. Exactly. So the the minimum short-term actions that needed to be put in play uh, were obviously replacing that failed valve, uh, steam supply valve, uh, inspecting and cleaning the vent stack and exhaust fan. And then we went ahead and installed redundant steam supply valves on both the calandria and steam jacket lines that supply the brew kettle. So if we were to have a catastrophic failure of the valve, we have a backup in place uh, for, for safe operation. So that was that was what you needed to do just to get running again. But there was some other stuff that goes beyond that, right? Sure. sure. So uh, kind of a midterm action, uh, we had uh, one of our uh, contractors come in and reprogram the HMI in the area to display a warning, uh, instructing the user to contact maintenance and manually supply uh, or manually shut down steam supply if that boil over probe is triggered, yet you're still registering uh, steam flow. So yeah. And then the uh, more uh, project-intensive long-term actions, uh, we're going to install a valve that provides that real-time feedback regarding positioning. So then you know it failed immediately in that half-open position and it's not closed. Uh, we really want to get an interlocked uh, electronic uh, manway door for the brew kettle that will only unlock when certain conditions are met. In this case, when the steam supply valves are closed and steam flow uh, is verified at zero pounds per hour. And then another really helpful thing that we, we want to put in play would be to install localized e-stops uh, for steam supply. We'd like to have two locations uh, in the upper brew house, uh, one downstairs in the lower brew house, and then also in our mash filter room. Because I uh, didn't really talk about this earlier, the main steam supply shutoff valve, uh, w- which we had to rely on to, to cut steam to the brew kettle, is actually in the lower brew house. You have to go down those stairs, and then it's located on a pipe that's not accessible unless you're you know 10 feet tall so we actually had bjorn had to contact maintenance get a, a step ladder and then we they got up there we were able to shut it out manually that way so n- not ideal in an emergency scenario and then additionally to these guys that that weren't actually listed here but um we we had a lot of feedback that we were already getting uh from sensors and and just the hmi that we weren't utilizing that we we added in to utilize here just to increase the safety so um work temperature being one of them um so we do have a high uh set point on work temperature that we will cut steam off now if we we get above that um we we also have a a volume probe um that basically measures uh, pressure um in in the vessel and what we noticed as we got further into our investigation was our wort volume was actually reading 200 gallons higher than the amount of wort that we knew we transferred in via totalizers so we'd built so much pressure in that vessel that that pressure tricked that sensor into showing that we had a Mm. higher wort value than we we actually had in there so so we set a maximum 
um, work value for that or a differential from totalized in um, to what actually was going to register on that. So we'll cut steam in the scenario that that, that happens as well. Um, so, so yeah, so I, I think one of the keys there is looking at a, all of the feedback that you've got currently. So you don't necessarily always need to add, you know, additional hardware or, or controls. You can just utilize the feedback that you already have a little bit more efficiently to, to bump up your safety. This happened at just one brew kettle at one brewery in a company that probably has at least hundreds, I don't know, maybe thousands of brew kettles around the globe. The reason we're talking about it here is to prevent similar accidents from happening to others, hopefully preventing injuries or deaths. Talk about the importance of communicating incidents like this, both within the company, but also throughout the industry. For sure. So like I was saying earlier, when you're conducting your incident investigation process, you always want to involve uh, key parties, uh, especially the individual that was involved with the incident to get their uh, their input and feedback. Um, on the other side, uh, when you wrap up your investigation, uh, it's always a best practice to share that with your entire team. Uh, we do that here at Goose by sharing safety alerts uh, within the company as well as within uh, Goose Island. Uh, we also post them publicly, you know, always leave names off these kind of things, keep it anonymous, but uh, just posting at the site of the incident too. So everyone on the team is aware of what happened, why did it happen, and then what actions uh, were developed to address the root cause to make sure that work uh, can resume safely. Um, you know, you can also do this via having a safety stand down, talking directly with your brewers and with people on your teams. Um, yeah, the worst thing you can do is fix a problem, but you don't really communicate it to your team. Uh, you resume production, and then you might have a few employees thinking, you know, you know what was done to to make work safe now. And if they're not part of that or kept in the loop, um, you know, I, I wouldn't want to be treated that way. So I try to treat employees how how I would want to be informed and treated. You just talked about communicating this, you know, throughout the company and whatnot. Uh, did this incident result in any changes at the Goose Islands Pub Brewery? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, for us, you know, we have a a different set of controls at our, our pub versus uh, here at the production facility. You know, certainly more automation, uh, a little more auto like automated controls. Um, so we, we did a comprehensive audit of, uh, of the process and in the equipment at the pub, just to make sure there was anything we could do to, to help, uh, prevent anything there. And, and we definitely, um, came up with a couple items, um, mostly related to the SOP. Um, but, um, we did validate the, the function of the controls that were in place. So they do have a boil over probe. We validated that, um, ensured that everyone understood, you know, when that is, um, when that does go off, that, you know, that's a, a serious situation. Uh, we updated the, the SOPs to uh, include no more additions or samples while steam is on. So at this point, um, they'll need visual verification through the site glass before they can then open the manway door. And then uh, similar to what we're doing at the, the production facility, you know, longer term inst installing a door lock that's tied to the HMI um, and having all of those conditions being met for that door lock will release to open the door, uh, ultimately, you know, for, for keeping people safe. You've got some 
uh, recommendations for preventing boil over related injuries that apply to any brewery of any size, not just big breweries with lots of automation. Tell us about those. Sure. So yeah, just as John has alluded to, you know, I know a lot of other sites might be smaller, may not have uh, you know, the resources larger sites have, but I feel like these steps can be taken to to help uh, mitigate risk with boilovers. So the first thing is just before any incident, make sure you have some sort of action plan in place. Um, you want to make sure it's standard practice to not open that manway door to leap to relieve pressure during a boilover incident. Um, make sure your team's trained to evacuate the immediate area so nobody's in the line of fire. Um, always call for help. Have that, uh, you know, whether it's a phone tree, uh, WhatsApp text, whatever you can do to, to get everybody involved and, and notified immediately. Got to have a plan in place to know how to cut steam supply to your brew kettle, uh, know where that main shutoff is ahead of time, uh, and then use... Any, like Daryl was talking about earlier, if you have any visual feedback, whether it's through a sight glass or any uh, digital feedback through an HMI, use the data that you already have uh, to your advantage uh, so you can help make these decisions and, and respond appropriately. Um, also, a great idea to hold drills, you know, stage a boilover incident and just you know, prep your team and, and see how they would respond if it was a true emergency, just like you do fire drills, tornado drills, do boilover drills. Yeah, the more comfortable you can get your staff with knowing how to react appropriately, you know, the better chances you stand of of having everyone come out of it, you know, safely. And then some other considerations, you know, I'm not always a fan of just relying on personal protective equipment or PPE, but in an instance where if you're at a facility that lacks uh, some of these controls and automation, you can always invest in, you know, uh, higher grade uh, chemical smocks that have heat protection. Uh, ANSI level two rated heat resistant gloves and face shields, at least for any of those points where you're, you're putting people in uh, potentially harm's way. And then also, you know, having a robust incident investigation program uh, is crucial. So not only for boilover incidents, but for looking at any other uh, safety risks in your brewery and then investigating them and then actually solving the problem, finding the root cause and coming up with uh, corrective actions. And then ultimately, you want to foster an environment where your brewers feel uh, encouraged and uh, feel okay to speak up about any potential issues that they that they see in their job day to day. And I'll just mention too that you know that that uh, steam control valve that you guys were using um, that's a very commonly used valve in in breweries of all sizes and shapes throughout the country. Um, and there's other valves that are similar to it. And it does have a visual indication on it showing whether the valve is open or closed. So if you're installing a new brewery, think about where you put that valve. And, you know, ideally that's in a location where the operator, as they approach the brew kettle can, can do a visual check and see that with their own eyes real quick to make sure they know whether steam is being supplied to the kettle or not at any given time. Yeah. We just talked about steps that breweries of any size could take. Uh, let's hear about breweries that have more resources and and maybe some things you think they should be looking at uh, as they reevaluate you know the systems that they have in place currently. Sure thing. Um, so first and foremost, uh, you know, lifesaver is having that boilover detection probe. Um, even if you don't have a, a system where it's going to automatically stop steam supply, just having that boilover detection probe and knowing uh, that you're in a boilover state that's crucial information. And that's that's actually one where I would say 
all size breweries, if you don't have a boil over detection probe, I highly, highly recommend getting that one device. You know, that's that's the the first line of defense that could help to to protect your your brewers, your employees. Yeah, keep someone out of the hospital for sure. Um, other things to look at would be valve automation and redundancy, uh, which is what one of the actions we took here at Goose Island to correct this problem. Um, also installing valves that provide that real-time feedback so you know that um, if it's uh, failing in a half-open position, you can identify that right away. Um, interlock systems, I'm always a fan of that in, in the brew house as well as even in packaging areas. Um, having that manway door where it only unlocks under certain conditions where uh, you know, valves are closed and steam flow is actually zero pounds per hour, that we can never open it uh, during a high-risk uh, uh, scenario. Um, localized steam supply e-stops and valves, like we were talking to earlier, especially important if you're uh, starting a brewery or, or building a facility from the ground up, you know, do it the right way from, from the beginning. Uh, and then if you have a more computerized setup, you know, reprogramming your H- HMI, uh, giving users clear instructions on how to respond to a boil over, and then also having that programming logic, um, you know, cutting steam automatically to prevent boil overs. And one thing in the safety world, I always like to talk about, uh, you know, we love pyramids in the safety world. Uh, so one of the ones we look at is uh, OSHA's three lines of defense, kind of going over your different controls uh, in safety. So your most effective controls in any safety program are always going to be uh, substitution or elimination or engineering controls. If you can engineer out the hazard, that's your best bet uh, at keeping people safe. Your next line of defense would be your administrative controls, which are things like a, a permit to work. So if you have a high hazard task, um, you might have to go through approval or do a, a check before, before performing that task. Uh, that also includes things like SOPs uh, as well. Your last line of defense is your personal protective equipment. Um, that's why it's so important because if you have failures at the engineering side or at the administrative side, that's your your last point of protection. Um, you should never just rely on PPE uh, as your only point of defense for safety, but um, it is critical. So again, if you have the, the resources to engineer out these hazards, that's the way to go. No one ever needs to be a hero in in one of these situations. You know, just get away, be safe, and you know, live to fight another day. That was Daryl Hurtka and Gabe Kappen here on the Master Brewers podcast. Check the show notes for links. Are you enjoying the Master Brewers podcast? Let me tell you about a simple way you can help us keep making more. Take a minute to thank our sponsors. There's no way we could produce this show without generous support from sponsors like Hopsteiner, Proximity Mall, BSG, Gussamer, and Precision Fermentation. So please, let them know you heard their message on the Master Brewers podcast and that you appreciate their support. Yeah.